Professor David Lindemeyer, who is from the Australian National University in Canberra. He is uh, not in Canberra today. He's actually at Lamington National Park in Queensland. And he joins us by the phone uh, in the forest right now, actually, to talk about the proposed Great Forest National Park, which uh, which we're hoping to get up um, in Victoria. And it's really critical that this happens. And David is going to share with us why that's so. So thanks, David, for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure, Amy. And um, and so, first of all, this issue of, of a great forest national park um, has been around for a, a significant time. Um, and you're, you've been researching um, the Central Highlands, uh, where this proposed uh, national park or expansion of a park um, is to be, and the, the mountain ash uh, forests in particular. And something that uh, our listeners may know is uh, of the Leadbeater's possum, which is Victoria's uh, faunal symbol emblem, sorry. Um, it is in danger, it's critically endangered actually um, of, of becoming extinct um, and, and that's not the only ecological disaster um, that is looming for this, this area in Victoria. Um, David, with this great forest national park, why is it so important that we protect the forest um, that exists in the central highlands Victoria and why aren't, like what's happening at the moment that means we're not? Okay, so there's there's lots of points there, Amy. There's, let's go through a little bit of a checklist of the key reasons. The first thing is the Great Forest National Park is critical for the conservation of Leadbeater's possum. So Victorian government work and work led by the, the University of Melbourne shows that almost all of the mountain ash forest needs to be conserved to protect that species. And it's not only Leadbeater's possum, other animals such as the greater glider are now in significant decline in those forests. And the only way to sensibly protect them is to protect the very large old trees that those animals need. So that's the first reason, a biodiversity conservation reason. The second one is an economic reason. And that is that the potential economic benefits of a major national park are enormous. We've done the environmental accounts and the economic accounts for that region. And without any infrastructure development, tourism is worth $260 million to the regional economy each year, whereas logging is worth $9 million. So there's a 72 times difference in terms of contribution to the economy. So there's an enormous untapped potential there to turn this area into a, a, a huge opportunity for jobs, a huge opportunity for environmental protection. The third reason is that almost all of Melbourne's water comes from those catchments in that Central Highlands area. And so the Great Forest National Park is critical to protecting the city's water supply in the future and keeping a lid on water costs. Otherwise, Melbourne's water supply costs are going to just explode out of control. So there are many really key reasons, from ecological reasons, but economic reasons, water supply region reasons and employment reasons, why you would go with a Great Forest National Park. But we're currently so not protecting this park and, and those ecological and economic reasons aren't being um, really given enough gravity, are they? With, with this, this logging that has existed in the park um, or in this area for quite a while, what is the effect of, of logging um, for the forest? Just how detrimental has it been and, and will it continue to be? So clear-fell logging is extremely significantly detrimental to, to these entire ecosystems. It removes the large old trees in these forests, which are critical for 40 species of, 
of uh, vertebrates, including critically endangered ones, such as Leadbetter's possum. Logging also changes the fire regimes. So what happens is that logging makes these forests more prone to very high severity fire, and that's what we found after the 2009 wildfires. So there's a major fire burden that's added to this system for another 50 years after logging is finished. So this is a, this is a really critical point. So we have also the removal of old-growth forests. So old-growth forests stopped being logged in 1990, but we still have the hangover of that, which means it'll be another 100 years until new areas of old-growth are recruited. Now, old-growth is really important for suppressing fire severity. It's really important for producing the most water. And uh, old-growth is also spectacular in terms of a tourist attraction. So we have very little old-growth forest left in this system, and we need to work hard to restore old-growth to its previous levels. So the, the National Park is critical to head off the major drivers of decline in the system, which is widespread industrial clear felling. And, and um, so... Go ahead. Really, economically, economically, environmentally and socially, it's quite clear that the Great Forest National Park is absolutely essential to the integrity of that region and also as a critical part of uh, Victoria's economy going forward. And, and in your um, keynote lecture about two years ago uh, on this issue, you mentioned that 1.2% of the mountain ash in this forest has been unlogged and unburnt, which means that there's a barely any, as you say, of old growth that has been um, untouched. Um, but also that uh, the old growth cover in the system has declined by 95 to 97% of what it once was. Um, and, and you mentioned there that it is spectacular to see. And, um, and there are some pictures of you online standing next to these trees and you are pretty small <laughs> in comparison. And, and one of the examples you give is of the, uh, the Sydney Opera House being, I think it was uh, 67 metres tall. And actually, um, in comparison, these trees can grow up to 132 metres tall and that's pretty much double um, the size of the Sydney Opera House. So it's really ginormous um, in terms of these these old growth forests but also you say that um that that's the old growth forests are where these endangered species um reside is that the case uh yes that's that's partly true so old growth forest is critical because old growth is where we get the most big old trees and the big old trees are critical habitats for these animals and when i say big old trees we're talking about trees approaching 100 meters tall and up to four metres in diameter, and over 190 years in age, and going up to 550 years in age. So these are really important, iconic pieces of, of environmental infrastructure, if we want to call them that, in these kinds of forests. And lots of things don't happen without these big old trees. And that's what's in, in vanishingly short supply across these ecosystems, and logging is one of the things that removes these big old trees, either directly during the logging process or indirectly when the forest is burned to remove the logging slash after after cutting. So old growth used to be somewhere between 30 to 60% of these forests. Now it's actually less than 1.2. It's 1.16% of mountain ash forest estate is old growth. And for alpine ash, the, uh, the other species, main species of tree in that system, it's point four seven of one percent is old growth so these are appalling statistics and for some reason neither the present government 
nor the present opposition seems to resonate with some of these frightening statistics about what has to be done to change the management in these systems. Well, uh, you know, before the the state election, um, Labor wasn't going to absolutely commit to this great forest national park, but they set up a task force to discuss it. Um, you know, I'm sure there's uh, been many task forces on this issue. I, I have to interrupt you there, Amy. That's not true. Oh, okay. The day be- no, the day before the last state election, I received an email from uh, former Minister Lisa Neville's office saying that the great forest national park would happen and it would happen within six months, and they were going to set up a task force to, to create the pathway to do that. Uh, so apologies. I have, I have documented evidence to show that the, the, the uh, former opposition, now government, had committed to the, to the national park, and we're going to go ahead with it. Interesting. And now, uh, s- several years later, they haven't delivered on their promise. No. And I'm afraid governments need to deliver on their promise to have credibility with their with their voters. Absolutely. Well, yes, my, my source there was Fairfax, so they weren't, were clearly wrong. <laughs> we're speaking with Lisa Neville and maybe she didn't say, make clear that she'd committed. That really does change things a lot because, um, well, I th- I, to me it doesn't change things a lot, but to others who see promises um, as, as being really important, it changes a lot. Um, and Lily D'Ambrosio is the, the minister who's replaced Lisa Neville, um, how have there been any movements within government to give way on this issue? And you know, is the reason why they haven't moved on it because of the logging industry and its um, its influence? Uh, there's no doubt that the logging industry has huge influence in this area. I think uh, economically, totally in an unjust way, because the value of the logging industry is a tiny fraction of the value of the tourism industry and a tiny value of tiny fraction of the value of the the, uh, water industry from from these areas. And what the logging industry is presently demanding is continued access to large areas of forest to keep cutting. And I noticed even today the opposition leader, Matthew Guy, is saying that he's going to continue to maintain access to timber from these forests to keep a sawmill going. The problem is that there's very little timber left. And so I don't know where he's going to get that timber from, my suspicion is that he's going to open up the water catchments to logging or he's going to open up national parks to logging. Either way, that's that's complete nightmare and that's ridiculous because the values of water and the values of tourism through national parks way exceed the value of, t- of timber. And, and so I'm, I'm calling on Matthew Guy to make it clear where he's going to get this extra timber from to run these sawmills because our analyses show that that timber simply doesn't exist. Our analyses show that really we've got about five to ten years of saw logs left before the saw log resource is depleted. And we've actually known this for about five to ten years now, particularly after the 2009 fires. So essentially what really needs to happen is we need to transition the logging industry out of native forests very quickly while um, making sure that that's done in a socially just way, largely because the resource simply isn't there anymore and the value of other resources like water and tourism far exceed the, t- the timber value. And would you agree um, that uh, that 
paper makers and that is um, you know really where most of this this uh, wood or timber actually ends up going to is paper and this you have a great uh, graph in your in one of your lectures about exactly where each percentage of, of this um, timber goes to but one of them um, one thing you mentioned is that the paper makers um, actually prefer plantation feedstock is there a way to transition or move into um, a plantation form of logging that doesn't affect these um, really important habitats? Absolutely. It's straightforward to make those transitions. In most countries around the world, they use softwood, i.e. conifers like pine trees, to make paper. That's what happens virtually all, all the way through North America and elsewhere. And it's not so hard to do that in Australia. In fact, we have extensive, extensive paper and pulper mills, for example, run by Vizi, that, that make paper from plantation feedstock. We have a, a study in the Tumut region in New South Wales where Vizi has been making paper for well over a decade from, from pine, uh, pine sources. The most important thing here is that if, if Australian paper continues to make its paper from mountain ash forests, which are themselves now critically endangered, then there's no way that that paper can be certified as being ecologically sustainably produced. So it can't get a green stamp like you would get through the Forest Stewardship Council. So that means that you get rock-bottom prices for the paper and you can't sell it into most markets. So, for example, most books that we have written over the last 20 years, there's been more than 40 of them, have been on FSC certified paper. That means that the paper that's come from non-sustainable sources, such as the mountain ash forest, basically is rock-bottom value. So remember that these are public forests, and these public forests need to be managed for the maximum public good. And it's exactly not what is happening at the moment. Couldn't agree more. And one of the the points that you make is that you know climate change is a huge issue and a huge problem that we face, and um, that these these forests, this forest in particular, is one of the world's most carbon dense forests, and that it has enormous carbon storage potential. Could you share with us how these forests are critical to us? Um, you know, dealing with climate change and also uh, reaching our our targets of reducing carbon emissions. Yeah, that's a very good point, Amy. So in these forests, we have some old growth stands can be up to 2,000 tonnes of carbon biomass per hectare. So this is an enormous amount of an enormous amount of carbon that's stored not only in the standing trees, but, but also in the understory and in the ground layer and also below the ground. In fact, we haven't even measured how much carbon there is below the ground, but it's likely to be very large. So what you say is correct. These are indeed some of the most carbon-dense forests anywhere on the planet. And when we have 100 to 200,000 hectares of this kind of forest within a large protected area like the Great Forest National Park, we are potentially capable of storing millions and millions and millions of extra tonnes of carbon on an annual basis. Now, if there was a carbon methodology to, to set up by the federal government, then these forests would be worth a very large amount of money to the public of Victoria for their carbon storage service. What we also know is that when forests are logged, very large amounts of emissions uh, go to the atmosphere. First of all, when the forest is cut, you need to, to burn up a lot of fossil fuel to cut the forest down and then to cart the timber about to, to a pulp mill or a sawmill. Then we also know that the, when, once the logging slash, that's the true heads and the lateral branches and the bark is burnt, we get a large amount of emissions from the forest then. 
And then the remaining logging slash undergoes accelerated decomposition in the forest as well. So for prolonged periods of time, the forest becomes a net emitter of carbon to the atmosphere. And so by far the best thing to do is to actually leave those trees uh, in the ground, as it were, or on the surface of the soil to continue to accumulate carbon throughout its lives. And we've, uh, other people have discovered that trees continue to sequester large amounts of carbon even when they get very old. And old forests have significantly more carbon than younger forests. So really the science is in on carbon storage and it's a really important service that those forest ecosystems give us in terms of fighting dangerous climate change by locking up large amounts of carbon and keeping them in a sustained form that's stable for prolonged periods of time. So really important resource. In fact, the carbon value, even under a nominal carbon value under the emissions reduction fund that the federal government has in place of only $12.23 per tonne, the carbon value of the forest way exceeds the timber value of the same forests. So uh, not only on a water value, on a tourism value and on a biodiversity value, but also a carbon value, it's quite clear that you need to move towards a Great Forest National Park. And that's why I'm such a strong advocate for, for sensible decision-making based on evidence to move towards that outcome. Absolutely. The facts are in, the science is in, and you you and your team and many others have been contributing to this science for so long um, and advocating on this issue. What can um, our listeners and, and people in Victoria do to convince the government that this is the right thing to do and that we need a Great Forest National Park? Because, you know, it is one and a half hours away from the CBD of Melbourne. This is a very, it's on our doorstep. Um, you know, it is great for tourism, but these forests have inherent value within themselves to the environment, but also just by being there. Um, what what do you think needs to happen to make this, this forest become a reality and how do we put pressure back on the Victorian government? So what needs to happen is several things. The first one is that people need to, to uh, get, uh, get writing. They need to write to their local politicians. They need to go and see their local members. They need to uh, join the, the Great Forest National Park support program. So that's a, a, an online web thing. They, they, uh, they need to get on social media. They need to get active. Remember that in many cases, it only takes a small number of very active people to, to make the changes that need to happen. That's what happened with women voting. There's a small number of very dedicated people that actually made things change, obviously for the much better. And we know that there's actually a huge amount of groundswell support for the Great Forest National Park. People have to become more vocal and more active and get more involved to, make, to push governments to make sensible decisions based on evidence and be, based on good outcomes for the state and to put to bed some of these ridiculous arguments from the Liberal opposition that they're going to find timber in water catchments and in national parks and start logging those when those areas are way more important economically uh, in terms of their water value and their tourism and, and biodiversity values. So we need to stop those kinds of ridiculous calls to, to log catchments and log national parks. We need people writing to their politicians. We need people getting in, involved and engaged on something that will be a really important legacy for Melburnians and Victorians and Australians going forward, not for the next two or three years, but the next 50 to 100 years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, David, thank you so much for sharing with us the science and the facts of the matter and advocating so passionately for for 
something that's just absolutely necessary. It has to happen. It must happen. And um, there's just no other choice. Otherwise, we will see um, the extinction of many species and, you know, great environments lost. Um, I hope you have a great time in Queensland in the forest. Uh, Thank you, Amy. And I'm looking forward to being back in the forest in Victoria uh, in another couple of weeks. Okay, Um, great. Yeah, and thank you very much for your time and the chance to explain what the outcomes are here. No, it's, it's our pleasure. It's really, really critical. Thank you, David.